the night. Matt Laswitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. How are you, Will? How are you? You know, I have not known Dan Grote for as long as you have, Matt. What, it's been two or three years at this point, certainly not 30 years, but I have to say, Dan Groth's a real motherfucker. And as Dan listens to this, he laughs maniacally. I God, God damn it. We set this up, right? We, we set up the, the Patreon and we said, Hey, if you give us money and you give us enough money, you can pick a story that we'll read. And you know what? We fully did that. Understanding that our friends are assholes and they're going to pick the very worst books for us to read. And God damn it, if Dan Grote didn't pick a real shit fest of a book. And I suppose it's, it's man, we earned this. We, we did it. And we made these decisions. We had to suffer for them. And God damn it, if we didn't suffer for, for, for that this week. Uh, oh. Alexander, I've got, I've got so many swears this week. Please. You've got to you got to stop listening, bud. This is this is this is a, an all adult show. This is a mature audience's show. This is not for young ears. But we've got some good news. Oh, please! I need some fucking good news this week, Matt. Because I knew w- with what we had going on, you were going to need some good news. We got a new yeah. Patreon backer. Oh, Patreon backer! All right, our new Patreon backer is sam hopper who jumped on at the jason todd tier level hey sam look let me ask you let me ask you brother please please when it comes to your book p- pick a book that you enjoy pick a good book pick a book that'll be fun to talk about and read don't pick a motherfucking book like dan did oh please god please i'm begging you i'm begging you oh, oh. Believe me, we're getting two weeks in a row of this. We'll get to that at the end of the episode. But uh, uh, for now, yeah, so we, we've already cursed our, our fate. But speaking of Jason Todd, this week we see our first pick from said Jason Todd, your backer. You know, that backer, as we said, is my best friend of 30 years, co host of my other show, WMQA, and previous guest, Dan Grote. And because A Dan likes. Yep. He likes to see us suffer. So Dan picked Batman White Knight, a book Will has written about extensively, and we've paired it with two other stories where the Joker breaks sane. We're going to start with that book. So this is White Knight. Originally published as Batman White Knight numbers one to eight with story and art by Sean Murphy. Colors by Matt Hollingsworth, letters by Todd Klein, edited by Mark Doyle and Maggie Howell, cover date of December 2017 through July of 2018. In this Black Label series, a drug allows the Joker to regain his sanity and do the most important work of his life, saving Gotham City from an increasingly unhinged Batman. That is not a great description of this book, but I the don't the most charitable, kindest thing you could possibly say about it. Yeah, it's it's really basic. And we, we're going to swing right back. I mean, I think we discussed him a couple of weeks ago in 
a problematic creator watch, but since this is the brainchild of Sean Gordon Murphy, not a good dude. All right, look, I'll I'll state for the record, I don't know if we can say for a fact that he's not a good dude. His fans are not good dudes. He is comics gate adjacent and reading his works, he's a fucking idiot. Like, I don't know what else to say about him. Like he he wants to write about deep complex things with all of the the surface level and understanding of the local like fucking freshman idiot you picked out of a political science 101 class he does this in every fucking thing he writes i don't know why i picked this for myself i don't know why i decided to read all of murphy's works but like i've read punk rock jesus and that is like some guy who spent five minutes reading about the troubles and thought hey, what if like we cloned Jesus and brought him back and put him on a reality television show? And that gave me an avenue to talk about the troubles and reality television and Jesus. With White Knight, like he's working with like 15 different ideas. Obviously the inherent idea of like, you know, what if Joker was magically cured and he became a force for good? Oh, except wait, he's not good. Uh, you know, what if Batman was the, the Frank Miller Batman got too violent and they got reined in and, and uh, like he doesn't spend any time to actually address the topics with any depth. It is all fucking painfully surface level nonsense. And it's exhausting, fucking exhausting. This is the only eight issue book that reads like 15. It is painfully wordy. Oh my God. Painfully wordy. There are points where Murphy, and this is not a problem exclusive to Murphy when it comes to artists who become writers, but I always boggle at the fact that these creators who started out as artists, you can't see their art under all the word balloons. So many word balloons. And so much of it is unnecessary. The speeches that Jack Napier gives throughout this thing is like, oh, my God. There is not a single bit of subtext in this book. Not not a moment, not a minute. If there is a if there's a a moment that could be spelled out, God damn, is it ever spelled out in like 3000 words More matter with less art. Uh, and, and, you know, it would be more of a tragedy if Murphy was a good artist. He is an adequate artist. He does okay work, but none of this is, I would think, superlative. He draws one male facial expression, a scowl. His, his female art is always somehow in peril. And apparently he, he guides the direction of the colorings on this book, and it's all colored with toilet water. It's it, it's an infuriating book. I, I, I can't, I, I just, I, I'm losing it. I can't, I can't string together sentences anymore. <laughs> this thing is so bad. I have taken, I took more notes on this than I've taken on, I think pretty much anything we've discussed and none of them are charitable. No. Oh, okay. All right. I will say one good thing and it's the only good thing that I could think of when I was reading this, he does action pretty well. Yes. 
Yes. Like, like, like the overall context for the action might be moronic. It might be the stupidest fucking thing you've ever read. Like five different Batmobiles rolling into action at the climax of this novel, uh, a graphic novel series, whatever the fuck this piece of trash is. But the, the moments where he's not monologuing and focusing on like action, it's passable. That's the best thing I can say for this. I can see where you're coming from. I mean, his, the, his, the continuity of action, I never, I never got lost reading this. I was able to follow the numerous big action scenes. But, I mean, I, don't, I honestly don't know where to start when it comes to discussing this book. Because the, the two sentences I gave at the beginning are a very surface description of what this is. Because this starts out with a Batman who is even further than that Batman year three Batman that we saw. A Batman who is hyper-violent. And a Joker who gets this magical drug that just sort of allows him to revert to Jack Napier a name that, of course, is right out of the movies. This is a Black Label book. This is an Elseworlds, for all intents and purposes. So while it doesn't have to line up with any continuity, its own continuity is befuddling. Oh, 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 fuck ever is it is. So l- let me say this about these, these drugs, right? These magic pills. Okay, one, they're also steroids, which is real fucking dumb. Uh, and then let's, let's, it, let's Joker get ripped. Uh, so that's that's the first stupid thing. Two, a la fla- uh, flowers for Algernon, they wear off. So you're supposed to have this tragic, oh, he's going to revert back to the Joker. How sad. And third, oh, wait, it was Harley's plan all along. She designed this drug. She planted it in the news. She allowed for Joker to go out and get them so she could save Joker and and show Batman that he's he was actually a good guy. God damn it. Every bit of this is dumb. And so the pills magically cure not just his sanity, but the jokerness of him. His hair is normal. His skin is normal. But the minute they wear off, he reverts to Joker at the end, which didn't seem because when Leslie Tompkins shows up for like two panels, she said that it required surgery at the beginning. Unless that was surgery to fix the living shit kicking he took from Batman, but it didn't seem that way. Uh, I think that's what it was. But it's Question still, it mark. doesn't make sense. Why these pills are literal magic? Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they they stabilize him psychologically. They fix his body. They are steroids, and I mean we. On a bonus episode, when we talked about Batman the Audio Adventure, where at the end of this, Batman confronts the Joker, and he says that he exposed himself to the same toxic swill that changed Joker's skin, and it did nothing to Batman's mind. That This is the Joker. He's been the Joker all along. This is the opposite. This is, oh... This he's not been the Joker all along. It was the system and the chemicals that made him this way, which is a thousand times less interesting than someone 
who had just been looking for some kind of excuse to become a violent psychopath. Oh, but this Joker just really loved Gotham and he was just a small town boy and he got real sad that he couldn't make it big in comedy. Which, by the way, completely contradicts the origin of Harley and the Joker that we saw in White Knight Presents Harley Quinn. Because there, he was some big mobster that, that Harley knew when she was, you know, a stripper with a heart of gold working her way through medical school. Ah, which brings us to probably, I don't know, the, probably the, the, the most problematic part of this book. Sean Gordon Murphy does not like the modern interpretation of Harley Quinn. He does not like the idea that Harley Quinn might be queer, uh, that she might not have a relationship with Joker. So instead of just writing a Harley Quinn that is sort of the traditional Harley Quinn, no, he writes two of them. And he basically says the Harley Quinn that we have now is an imposter, is a, is a cheerleader with big boobs that's just that's so wrong and terrible and awful and bad for everything. And I just, I can't fucking ah, stand that sensibility. What, what shit ass fanboy looks at this and says, well, God damn it. I want Joker and Harley Quinn to be together. And I'm going to write in my book that our modern AKA last, I don't know, five, six, seven years, uh, our modern interpretation of Harley Quinn is wrong. Like get nearly fucked. Nearly 10. At this point, Get God fucked, help us. buddy. Get fucked. I, I will see your har- problematic Harley and raise you one that I find more problematic than that. Oh, give it to me. Okay. So, well, to begin with, and we'll, we'll discuss this probably a little after we're done with this. The social politics of this book are all over the place. Uh, because, again, Murphy's a moron and doesn't understand anything. But he introduces a new neighborhood in Gotham, Backport, that is named this just so he can have some snooty white guy call it Blackport at one point or another. But the the character in Backport, a former GCPD officer, former, I want to say it was Army, it might have been Marines, who, you know, got, got out of the service, went to the GCPD, called out corruption, got drummed out, and then went back to Backport. And organize some of the gangs to be, you know, to work to improve the neighborhood is Duke Thomas. The same Duke Thomas, who is a Robin aged young vigilante who is, you know, has powers and is kind of good with science and is a completely different character. All Murphy did was take the name and grafted onto a new character. I mentioned this on Twitter to previous guests of the show, Corey Smith, who, as a Black man, was offended by this, because what it really reinforces is this terrible stereotype, terrible issue in comics and various other fictions that Black characters are interchangeable. Oh, yeah. That Murphy just hey, he's a black guy. Let me use his name for this completely different character. That's really bad. That is really bad. And I mean, there's a lot of characters here whose backgrounds are janky as fuck. Jason Todd as the first Robin. I was just about to go there because you know we're going to get Jason Todd in 
this third book. Oh, like, oh it's, yeah. It's it's set up for his weird, psychotic, terrible return. And it's going to be awful, Matt. Okay, it's going to be God, God awful fucking dog shit bad. He had a couple cameos in the Harley Quinn one. That Harley Quinn spinoff. He was the one. He was the, like the abusive prison guard who was pushing Bruce around. Don't don't try to make me remember anything outside of what we had to read for tonight. Uh, I know that I read that shit. I know that it was terrible. Although I will say, because I think he had less of a hand in writing that, it was better. It wasn't good. Uh, I believe it didn't. His partner handle the writing yes. duties on that. Yes. Yeah, just so many wonderful things going on with the Murphy verse. But uh, yeah, it was definitely better than this. It was definitely better than the second book, which I think might even be worse than this. And I am not looking forward at all to reading the third book. Uh, it's just, uh, uh, but anyway, how dare you try to make me remember anything from that Harley Quinn series? How dare you? For a book that is ostensibly a love letter to Batman the Animated Series, as there are so many designs and so many nods to Batman the Animated Series in this book, it misses all of the charm of Batman the Animated Series. Oh, isn't, uh, doesn't it though? Like, there is just, there's zero humor, zero light. It's all dark and dank and depressing, which again, it's fine. I don't have a problem with that, but it, it should it should say something. It should make you feel something. None of this book makes you feel anything aside from relief when it's over. You know, Alfred dies in this book and it just, it doesn't matter. And Murphy is obsessed with like Batman, you know, the Wayne family history, which is the, the incredible downfall of the second book because it's boring as fuck. Not only is the second book terribly written like this one, but it's also mind-numbingly boring. In this, we get all of this stuff about Freeze and how, oh shit, Operation Paperclip, because Murphy just read about that and thought that that was neat. Oh shit, you mean we worked with Nazis after World War II? Surprise, motherfucker, I live in Huntsville, Alabama. This town was built by Nazis. We know, right? Anybody who's read a fucking history book in the last 30 years knows that yes, we worked with Nazis after World War II. Yes, we shouldn't have. Congratulations. This is not any kind of insight. I I kind of went through my notes and I kind of highlighted the things that I feel like I really want to touch on um, (laughs) because I have just pages upon pages of angry notes. Uh, Uh, Thanks, Dan. Thanks. A big one. If I never hear the word gatekeepers again, Uh, it will uh, be too soon. Ah, this this is this is a signature of uh, of Murphy's writing, and I talked about this when we talked about Ridley because uh, they have this in common. They come up with this concept, this idea. They boil it down to a label, and the label is used over and over and over again. With Ridley, it's the idea of masks in Gotham. What do you think about masks? Oh, I hate masks. Uh, but at least masks make sense. Yeah, yeah, and Ridley's not a moron. With, with this, we see gatekeepers times a thousand. Why, uh, why that word? I don't understand. I can't figure out why they're gatekeepers. That because is, he's a dum-dum, Matt. That is usually meant for those who are trying to, you know, exclude people. I guess that's what this is. But it seems, it's, 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 
the logic of that befuddles me. Look, look, don't don't think too hard. You will fucking have a stroke on this podcast, and I'll have to record the other two books all alone. He's he's a terrible writer, and he's a bad thinker, and that, that's why you have stuff like gatekeepers. And thankfully, he didn't elevate like SJWs to that level, but. Yeah, he's got a couple mentions of SJWs in there. From that talking head who is is clearly supposed to be a right-wing moron, but he's right. He's the one, the only guy who, except for Batman, who goes through this whole thing not trusting the Joker. Is he a right-wing idiot? Or is he the voice of reason? He can't be both. Yeah, and, and this this book wants everything, right? It wants Joker to be a tragic figure, it wants Joker to be a good guy as he is continuing to perpetrate bad stuff. There's I don't so fucking much, understand that. There's right? so much both sidesism in this book. I would have really enjoyed a story in which Joker truly does go sane and go good and what that means for Gotham. What does it mean if the Joker truly gives up criminality and wins elected office? Like, what the fuck does that mean? But no, we have to have a Joker who is still scheming, who's still working, you know, with with Mad Hatter using, you know, Clayface dust to control all of the other villains in Gotham. And and Batman obviously sees through this and Batman argues that, oh, well, yeah, Joker is going to be Joker and he's up to no good. And yet he's vilified the entire book. So not only can Joker not be good, but Batman can't be bad. This whole story is this weird, just kind of like in the middle of, I can't, I can't root for anybody in here aside from just wanting the thing to be over. All right. I've got three points I need to make. One is just that the continuity again is janky. Batman is supposed to be Batman for decades. Decades, decades. Decades. But it seems like there's references to Jim Gordon not having been commissioner for all that long, which is weird. But first, you pointed out the, you know, weird issues with, you know, Harley not being in relationship with Ivy or having to be with Joker. There is one point where the fake Harley, aka Neo Joker, which is a god-awful name, Ugh. like expressly mind controls the living shit out of Ivy, and that's uncomfortable. And in the same scene, where they're breaking into Wayne Manor, Bruce shows up in a pink bathrobe, and They didn't make too many of the obvious gay panic jokes, but it's clearly implied. Oh, yeah. And let me point out again how, once again, every turn where this book could have told something interesting or done something subtle or or whatever, uh, we had to go stupid. The entire plot was premised on the Joker convincing all of the other villains in Gotham to drink something. Drink something laced with Clayface. How you... Okay, yes. That is, I mean, that's dumb to begin with. And also, would anyone in their right mind drink anything the Joker, no matter how sane he's claiming to be, gave them? That's that's so fucking dumb. It's just... I just... I, oh, and, and in the end... Incredibly stupid. There's a giant freeze cannon that freezes all of Gotham, thanks to Neo Joker, which... That's your big set piece? This is Batman and Robin! There's so many references to Batman and Robin in this book. 
Batman 89, Batman and Robin, Batman the Enemy. This keeps Batman mining, 66. 66. This keeps mining all of these other things that are better. And all it does is remind you that there are all these other things that are better. I wrote this in my original review for Dan motherfucking Groat. And I swear to God, Dan, why you did this to us, I will never forgive you. But I said the meanest possible thing I could ever say about any Batman work, and I stand by it, White Knight is the ready player one of Batman stories. Oh, that is terrifyingly apt. Yeah, I know, right? I I read that. I think I'd forgotten, but that is a terrifyingly apt comparison. And uh, I could not think of anything crueler to say about anyone's work. And, and I, hope, I hope someone sends this to, uh, to, to Murphy. I hope he thinks about what he's done. I hope he considers the fact that he's about to publish a third volume of the series. And I hope he fucking makes it better. Publishing the week that we dropped this, by the way, which is why Ugh. we decided to do this this week. You know, the reason I read this story initially is not because I wanted to torture myself. Uh, although that's obviously what it became. This story sells, and that's astounding to me. It's astounding to me that DC lets this guy play with these characters, and he has no fucking clue what he's doing. Zero. None. And the attention that he gets, the space that he takes up, could be better used by some other creator with some other vision, with nuance and the actual actual ability to tell stories. And I just, I don't know why people buy this. Zero idea. Okay, my, my, my final two points. One, there is a reference to Harley's Holiday, the Batman the Animated Series episode where Batman gives Harley the dress that she bought for herself and that there was a whole series of misunderstandings that led to all this chaos where Batman has a really sweet moment with Harley, which I mentioned as possibly my third favorite Batman moment behind JLA 3, the I Know Your Secret bit, and the banquet scene from Batman Year One. That means that this week, this awful story references one of my favorite Batman moments, and next week's awful story is going to reference another. Ah, oh boy. And finally, we could probably do a whole messy discussion on this. We're going to have to make it short, but as I was getting towards the end of this, I got to thinking, and just off the top of our head, real quick, who is worse, Neo Joker or Punchline? Oh. Because there's a lot of similarities between the two. Color scheme is the same. The, the raison d'etre is the same because we can't have Harley around anymore. So let's just have a replacement Harley. Mm. I'm going to have to go with Neo Joker just because the name is such shit. I, I, I agree because I thought about it. And I was like, I think Neo Joker because the name is awful and there's more implied abuse with neo joker more stockholm syndrome than punchline oh oh let me throw in a, 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 a as a brief aside a, a content warning uh, a self-harm murphy just casually drops that in neo joker her origin story is that she was a bank teller who cut herself at work what the fuck it's so casual and so just ugh so fucking white and privileged and my life is relatively free of distress that I could just throw this in there. 
Nobody fucking does that, bud. Nobody. I just, I, I mean, yes, people do engage in self-harm, unfortunately, but no one, no one, and this, this is literally, she says, yeah, I used to do that at work and count how many customers it would be before I would bleed out. Like, nobody does that. That's not real. This story is a giant fucking mess from stem to stern. Uh, and that's, that's a nice thing to say about it. I think, it, I think though, I think we need to just, uh, if we don't move on, we'll be here all night. Yeah, I've, I've got one more tiny complaint. Please. And that is, as Batman would say, only code names over the radio. I cannot believe they called him Bruce on the comps channels. And that just shows, that just shows the lack of finesse and attention to detail that this guy has. And fuck him for not doing the hard work of actually putting in the effort to tell stories aside from, oh, look, look, here's the Tumblr. Oh, look, here's the, the Batmobile from Batman 66. Oh, look, here's the Batman, uh, you know, the animated series Batmobile. Fuck you. And let's put your fucking shit on the big board, you piece of shit motherfucker. So we are currently at 81 stories on our list. Number one is Batman Year One. Number 20 is Gothic, A Romance from Legends of the Dark Knight, numbers 6 through 10. Number 40 is Robin Year One, Robin Volume 2, Annual Number 4. Uh, 60 is Haunted from Legends of the Dark Knight, Volume 2, numbers 7 and 8. And number 81 is Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves. So, Will, this is the big question. (laughs) This is the big question. Is this worse than Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves? The question is, is a book that is trying to say something, fails miserably, and says less than it intended, worse than a book that is trying to say nothing, is trying to be just entertaining and fails miserably at that. Ah, uh, this this is a real Sophie's choice here. I mean, clearly, Batman or Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves and Batman White Knight, uh, they are the worst books out of the 82 uh that we have ranked to date. Um, okay, so Murphy can do action competently but everything else in this is either problematic or boring or infuriating the offensiveness of the way he treats harley and the way he treats duke make me think this is the worst yeah vampires and werewolves is dumb it is boring but it did not make me nearly as angry as this uh, I mean, I remember like, oh, this guy, I, I remember the bit, right? Stale roast beef. Roast beef doesn't go stale. Uh, that was the worst offense in that book, aside from being boring and Superman being a mewling piece of shit. Yeah. And there's one, there's at least one sexy corpse, which is a trope that bothers me a lot. Yeah. And uh, and what is it? Robin Baskins? Yeah. Baskin Robbins? Yeah. Batman making a snide fat joke into his personal recorder. Yeah. But we can name the things that are honestly offensive on one hand with that book. Absolutely. And none of them are central to the book. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're fleeting. 
They're they're what the you know the writer thinks is are cute little jokes. This is central core concepts that are terrible as fuck. So yeah, I think this is the new bottom of the list. Congratulations, Sean Garden Murphy. You're a piece of shit. Your work's bad, and now you're the worst book we've read. Until we read part two. That's that's a serious discussion, and it's real, real bad and real, real boring. But yes. Batman White Knight is our new bottom of the list. Congratulations, Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves. You're off the schneid. Let's throw throw a parade. Our next story is Going Sane. This is from Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, numbers 65 to 68. The writer is J.M. DeMatteis, pencils by Joe Statton, inks by Steve Mitchell, colors by Digital Chameleon. Letters by Willie Schubert, edited by Archie Goodwin and Jim Spivey. Cover dates are November of 1994 to February of 1995. After seemingly killing Batman, the Joker's mind snaps to sanity. The story follows mild-mannered Joseph Kerr and a recovering Batman before their inevitable and tragic return to normal. We have read stories by both of the primary creators of this book before. Demetrius wrote Speeding Bullets, and Staten drew both the first origin of Huntress and that Huntress Batman story from the Huntress's own series. So we'll see more of both of these creators in other things moving forward. I mean, they're both major creators of the Bronze Age. This story has a really interesting history. Oh, do tell. This story started with Demetrius pitching it in the 80s with the Joker seemingly killing Batman and going sane. But he pitched it around the same time that DC was working on the killing joke. So they weren't ready to do another prestige Joker piece. So Demetrius went back and instead decided, hey, what if I do Hugo Strange instead? And Hugo Strange buries Batman alive and then takes his place. DC didn't go for that either. So Demetrius then took those two concepts, sort of squeezed them together and brought them over to Marvel. And it became Craven's Last Hunt. One of the three greatest Spider-Man stories ever told where Craven tranquilizes Spider-Man, buries him alive, and then becomes Spider-Man briefly. But Demetrius eventually, with Legends of the Dark Knight being a thing, came back and got to go back to that original concept and write Going Sane. Hmm. What a fascinating backstory. I read a column uh, from Brian Cronin over comic book Urban Legends Revealed, but apparently Demetrius wrote about this on his own blog back when, you know, everybody had a blog. Oh, what a, what a good series that was. I, I love digging through some of those stories and seeing how fascinating they are. This is a story I remember being really blown away by the first time I read it. I think it still holds up in a lot of places. I wasn't as knocked out by it as I was when I read it when it first came out. But I think there is still a lot. I mean, there's a hell of a lot more merit to this than there is to White Knight. Uh, Matt, we just put White Knight at the bottom of 81 other stories. Again, we're not we're not going to say much nice about it ever. 
I thought the central idea behind this was pretty fascinating. The the idea that Joker believes he kills Batman and that's psychologically traumatizing to him. That's that's an interesting nugget of a story. I think four issues is too long. I think there's there's too much decompression here, especially in the first issue. Like you shouldn't take the whole issue to get around to killing Batman if your story is, well, gee, what happens after you kill the Batman? But I'm fairly hooked on that central idea. Like it's pretty fascinating. And there's all kinds of interesting little structural bits. There's a thing with the Joker's lettering where the Joker has these somewhat jagged letters when he's the Joker. But once his mind snaps to sanity, you actually watch them shift into normal lettering. And at the end, when he realizes Batman is still alive and breaks again, you see the same transition, but in reverse, which is a really neat lettering trick. I wish the Joker's letters had been easier to read. Yeah, they were a bit, they, they were tricky. I won't deny that. But that device, I thought, was a cool device. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that is carried with the color, right? You only know that it's Joker's, you know, the, the same joke, Joe cares letters and thoughts because the colors are the same so i wondered you you could you could have tweaked joker's letters made them a bit more readable and still had the same idea but i'm always going to complain about lettering when they try to do something cute and it just makes it more difficult to read remember letterers job number one make readable letters everything else is secondary the second and third issue of this story are sort of parallel narratives because issue one as will said is joker kidnapping a councilwoman batman pursuing him this is apparently only batman's third confrontation with the joker so this is real early i mean gordon is still captain gordon at this point uh and then at the end the joker catching batman in an explosion and seemingly killing him issue two follows joseph kerr who's very mild-mannered despite having these episodes and this sort of burgeoning relationship between him and his neighbor, Rebecca. Issue three is right as Batman comes back to Gotham but has a lot of flashbacks to the intervening couple of months where he was away from Gotham recovering with a doctor who more or less pulls him out of a river. Uh, Uh, In his Halloween costume. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Lynn Eagles. And then issue four is Batman and Joker confronting each other again. So again, the structure is neat, but this might have worked better as, because I like the fact that the maybe three issues with the middle issue cutting back and forth between Batman and Joker, because it does feel like there's some padding in especially the Batman issue there with Batman going after the there's a plastic surgeon's body who's recovered who's the plastic surgeon who fixed Joker's face after he breaks sane again Batman going after his wife and nurse to find out if he really was the one who fixed the Joker and it's like well we obviously know that we don't need Batman to be investigating that and while I 
complimented the lettering when it came to that that Joker transition. There's a big two-page spread in the middle of this book that's a conversation between Bruce and Dr. Eagles. And there are all these pink narration boxes, but as opposed to breaking them for each character, there's you know separate there, there's there quotation marks breaking their conversation. And it's very difficult to follow who's talking to who at different points because the colors are the same, but that's neither here nor there. It is because it was an issue with the lettering. But it, it never loses its thread, even if it is a little padded. Demetrius is a writer who's known for you know philosophical concepts and getting into the psychology of characters. And he does that. He does dig into Bruce very specifically and his frustration and his anger and how that drives him and how difficult it is, especially for an early Batman to deal with this agent of chaos that is the Joker. Some of that, I think, went a little too far when it was just Batman constantly brooding in his monologue. Oh, this is my city. I draw the line here. Joker's chaos will not stand. Like none of it seemed to be very human. They're, they're just, I, I could have used a touch more of like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I, there could have been more vulnerability there. I can, I can see that. I do like the very end where his brief time in the city of accord with Dr. Eagles is this thing that he'll be able to go back to when it's, too dark to know that there is this sort of pastoral peace that can exist that's a nice thought and isn't too heavy-handed throughout the entire book it is this sort of final batman standing as the sun rises after leaving a bouquet in a vase for dr eagles and you also have the the juxtaposition between dr eagles and rebecca the joker's or Joseph Kerr's intended, who's, you feel bad for her. She's, she gets the real raw end of this whole thing. Uh, Matt, you, uh, you an American dad fan? Um, I, I've watched it. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't qualify myself as a fan, but I'm familiar with the show. This is basically the plot of, uh, of one of the episodes. Uh, this is the episode, The One That Got Away. Rogers, the aliens and America dad, his split personality, his different personas. One of them fractures so badly that it becomes the separate nice person who settles down with a very uh, well-meaning uh, idiot uh, store clerk. And it's, it's, it's the same plot. Like uh, she's real sweet. And he has uh, obviously these, uh, these episodes that, uh, that are not good. And the, the relationship eventually ends, but yeah, it's the same thing. American Dad, The One That Got Away, Season 5, Episode 2. It's real funny. Hmm. Go to Hulu and check that out. Or I think American Dad's on Hulu. It's on whatever one, one of these streaming services that I have. Indeed, it is Hulu. Ah, excellent. I don't know what Demetrius is trying to say with Rebecca because the character is uncomfortably a doormat in a lot of yeah. places. He nearly hits her and she blames herself. Yeah. In, um, in American Dad, the parallel is to um, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, what's, the, what's the character's name there? Audrey. 
Audrey, yeah. It's it's the same character. Like it's the one the audience wants to get away, but she's so sweet. She's codependent in this relationship. So, I mean, there's not a lot of depth there. We're sp- I think we're supposed to feel for her, obviously. We're supposed to feel bad for her in the end, but not much agency of her own, unfortunately. Right. And then there's Dr. Eagles, who, again, this, this is an early 90s comic, so it's, there's an uncomfortable use of sexual assault as a plot point. Yeah. But I've seen it handled much worse, but it would probably be handled better if it were not handled in this particular story where it is not essential her being simply robbed would have worked as well as her being sexually assaulted let me ask you this is this one of those kind of unspoken things where i'm not gonna tell you that i know that you're batman or does she legitimately not know that batman exists oh she knows i mean she says it because batman saved her okay for those of you who haven't read the story, she had moved out of her small town, moved to Gotham, became a doctor. Then one day went home to her apartment where there was a, uh, a home invasion and she was raped and then fled back to her small town. Then after years of trying to come to terms with everything, she decided to go back to Gotham. She had a lovely day and then she was mugged. But then Batman shows up, beats down the mugger, and holds her as she has a momentary collapse until the police arrive. Hey, I love that because it shows that Batman can be and is sympathetic to victims, which is great. But not only does she know that this guy is Batman, she knows it's Bruce Wayne because she says towards the very end when she gives him the Batman costume again to send him back, it's of Batman, he was a healer like my father like yours ah that's so she knows he's bruce wayne because she knows who thomas wayne was yeah it's just that that initial conversation that just sticks out so much in my brain like you you can't pretend that you didn't just like fish batman out of a river right but yeah your your points are obviously right yeah i think that was her giving him some mental breathing room or something there's a whole thing in this with joker slash joseph's obsession with old-time comedy which wow there's a lot of like really deep cuts this is clearly something that Demetrius is into because it's not just you know laurel and hardy and abbott and costello he goes deep into the jack benny show and all of the cast members on the jack benny show which i'm familiar with because as i've mentioned before i'm a fan of old-time radio although less so with comedies much more with detectives but I, i've listened to at least some of the comedy so i know jack benny who was a mensch by the way nowhere near as cheap as his persona and while the character of rochester his black valet or was fairly, fairly stereotypical which was common of the time he was not as stereotypical as you know your amos and andy stereotype and benny refused to eat or stay anywhere where they would not let Rochester stay or eat in the same place. Good on him. Yeah, which for the 40s, I mean, you know, today, clearly we look back and say, well, that's just common human courtesy. But for the 1940s, that's impressive. Yeah, 
Do, doing the least you could do for your fellow man was a lot more than a lot of people were doing at the time. But yeah, there's a lot of that in here. Also, there's a motif of water and rivers. The story starts on snowy days and Joker throws Batman's body into a river and it ends in a downpour in a battle on the river. And all four titles of the ep- of the issues are water themed, Into the Rushing River, Swimming Lessons, Breaking the Surface, and The Deluge. Again, interesting. Yeah, Demetrius knows structure. He knows how to build a plot that works. You know, I started reading this and it opens with this parade that nobody was expecting and a clown. And I'm like, this is Gotham City. Why do these people, they see a clown, they all should be running. And I'm like, oh, okay. Joker's only been a going concern for probably less than a year. All right, that, that makes sense. This is like his first big public slaughter of people at this parade. It's from this point on that everyone in Gotham is afraid of clowns. Okay, I can go with that. At, at this point, there's still space for, uh, what, Bubbles to <laughs> um, Yeah, uh, Bubbles or Bafo? Something like that. Bafo. Yeah. Again, back us on Patreon. Listen to our episode on ba- our bonus episode on Batman: The Audio Adventure, and you will hear about the ads for the birthday clown in Gotham. Stop being a goddamn freeloader. Do you have anything else, Will? No. Although, just to say that I don't think this story was perfect, but I feel so relaxed talking about it. I feel at peace. There's a certain serenity. So that means it's time to put Legends of the Dark Knight going sane on the big board. All right. Do you have an opening bid on this? This is the week where both of your friends turn on you, Matt. First, Dan, I'm going to say, how do you feel about this in relation to Blade? I knew you were going to go there. (laughs) And (laughs) honestly, I can put this above Blade's. I think this is a more consistently written story. It doesn't fall apart in some weird places like Blades does. I do prefer Tim Sale's art to Joe Statton's, but Statton is a really good superhero artist and a really good artist when it comes to those softer moments too, the moments between Joseph and Rebecca. Uh, If it's going to be better than Blades, it's going to be better than Super Heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking probably in the area around the mid-30s. I think this is probably better than Trust from last week, that Batman Zatanna Joker story by Dini. Hmm. This has more to say than that does. Very true. But I do admire a tight two-issue story. Okay, I'll give you that. And I do like on the outside at 38. Uh, Well, it's definitely above the 39, the mightiest team of the world, that that first Superman-Batman team up, which was a fine golden age story, but this is better than that. Yeah, I would would definitely agree there. I don't think we can go higher than 35 for sure. No, yeah, you're... No, we can't go higher than 35. I absolutely agree with that. So we're looking at 36, 37, 38, somewhere in there. Yeah. 
Okay, so 36 is the post-crisis origin of Jason Todd. Fun, but again, it's not saying much of anything. It's just there to be like, hey, this is Batman getting a new Robin, and it's fun, and he's a different Robin, and here you go. There's a heart underpinning this story. It doesn't always succeed in what it's trying to say about that, but it really is trying to say something, and while not always successful, makes its points well when it's hitting its stride. I would still probably go 39 under on the outside, but I'm willing to compromise wherever you think it should go. I want to put it at 37 above trust, but I see where you're coming from with on the outside. I honestly am beginning to think we probably might have, should have put on the outside above trust. But again, we will at some point allow for some re, some adjustments on this list, just not tonight. So I think for now, the less, yes, let's put it at 39 with All right. the idea that we will eventually possibly be adjusting trust. I'm looking forward to editing that episode and seeing why we put trust above on the outside. Maybe we had a good reason. I'll have to see. Uh, I I think it was just because it was better than everything else. We read that episode. No, 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 no. The annual Batman annual adventures. Yeah. Okay. Now our final story of the night, Luthor, you're driving me sane. This is from Joker volume one, number seven. The writer is Elliot S. Magin. Pencils by Irv Novik, inks by Frank McLaughlin, no colorist or letter credited in the book, edited by Julia Schwartz, with a cover date of June of 1976. A mad science device gone wrong swaps the defining characteristics of two of the world's greatest villains. Now a genius Joker must reverse the change with an insane Lex Luthor before the process kills them both. Brief problematic creator watch. Pretty sure we've mentioned it before. Julia Schwartz, well-known sexual harasser. Not a great good job, dude. asshole. Yeah. Now he's a dead asshole, right? Yes. This was from the very short-lived Joker ongoing of the 1970s. Series ran nine issues. A tenth was completed. Is available on Infinite and was available in what was called, I think, Cancelled Comics Cavalcade, a sort of collection of issues from series that ended with inventory issues left every issue of this joker series saw the joker teaming up with or fighting another major dc character two-face creeper in this case lex luthor elliot s magin we have read before with the blue the gray and the bat yeah this is a much simpler story and much less problematic than the blue the gray and the bat I'll say that, uh, and I'll. The only real thing I have to say about this story is it's a perfect example of why the new comic uh, comicsology fucking blows. Because I went there to search for this, and of course, you try to search for a Joker ongoing series. It's only going to give you uh, returns for the current one, which is fucking fantastic, and we should read at some point for this show. So I start to dig around and dig around and dig around, and the only thing I can find is uh, the trade collection 
of issues one through nine. And I'm like, okay, I guess I can't get these uh, in singles digitally. Fine, I'll buy the trade. It's like eight bucks, whatever. I buy the trade. And then after I bought it, in other books you might like, oh, here they are, the fucking singles. It is impossible to find anything on this new fucking website. Fuck you, Jeff Bezos. Fuck you, Comixology. Thanks for ruining what was largely a functional website. Good job, assholes. Uh, but this story, it, it doesn't rise to the, the levels of creepy that we saw in, uh, in Speeding Bullets in terms of sandwiching Luther and uh, Joker, but it was fine. Like, it was cute. It was funny. This is pure Bronze Age DC wacky schlock. Yeah. This, this is a Super Friends-esque cartoon. Although Joker does get to kill a guy in a newsreel. And it's like, wow, Joker is killing people. Okay. In a layout that was confusing as fuck. Yeah, that was that a out. weirdly laid out page. Irv Novik is a penciler we will run across a lot in that those Bronze Age Batman stories. He's done, a, did a lot of Batman in those eras, and it's mostly very functional, but that particular page wasn't great. But, you know, if you're doing like a film reel and you want to get cute and creative, sure, I'll allow it. I will allow for more creativity and taking chances in layouts than I will for pencils. Uh, or, or, excuse me, lettering. Uh, lettering has got the one job. The one job. Play around with your layouts. Make sure the one job is accomplished with your lettering. There's not a lot to say. I mean, especially compared to, you know, we did eight issues on the first story, four on the next. This is a one-issue Bronze Age story where literally Joker interferes with one of Luthor's experiments. Joker's insanity is transferred over to Luthor. Joker has to stop Luthor and get their brains right before 24 hours is up and they die. That's Uh, it. Are you sure White Knight's only eight issues? I, I'm pretty sure, despite it feeling like 20. And, 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 I, I, I feel gaslit. And by the way, to, to try to fit our rule, Batman does appear in a poster on the Joker's wall in his ha-ha-sienda. So Batman is in this comic, so it does count. Uh, he had two ha-ha-siendas, uh, and I'll, good job with that. By the way, I also like that At one point in here, Joker has to act like he's insane still to keep his gang in line. And as the the goons are walking out, one of them goes, at least he pays well. Which explains why people continue to work for the Joker, despite the not small chance that he's going to murder you. Because he pays well. I, I figure he probably pays better than most of the others. But although like Wager Penguin probably has, you know, an, a 401k and such, because you're at least theoretically working for a legitimate business organization. Harvey probably pays pretty well. If the coin comes up right. It really is a question. <laughs> is he paying you or not is based on how the coin comes up. Yeah. Are you getting actual U.S. Uh, currency? Or are you getting, you know, Harvey Bucks company script? I, I want to see Two-Face running a company town now. It makes sense. I have always enjoyed Joker, Luthor team-ups or confrontations because they are two massive egos in one place. These are two guys who 
will not get along because they both think they're the hottest shit around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Both guys are like, uh, everybody should be talking about me. Hello. And as we see here, there's there is some stuff in here that is very much happening because the plot demands it. When at the beginning of the story, the police come after them, Luthor helps the Joker escape. And there's really no reason for Lex to do that. He didn't need to help the Joker escape there. He just sort of did. Yeah, but they had a nice brunch afterward. They did. It was it was it was lovely. You know, they went to a diner. <laughs> they had disguises. Yeah. Joker in an Afro wig, which was odd choice, but okay. And and Le- there's a lot of very bronzy silver age bits. I mean, the device that is going to swap the minds that you know, will kill them after 24 hours. Lex having to have super leg strength pills in the equivalent of his utility belt. It's a very specific super steroid. Lex. Uh, the, the, the Joker takes pills that make him sane, but also give him super strength, but then they wear off. Yep, that. <laughs> Wait. Uh, the, the fact uh, that Luthor is driven expressly by his hatred of Superman. He says that the modern take on Luthor is that Luthor is driven more by his own arrogance and his own desire to be applauded by everyone. It's not that he hates Superman. It's that he hates that people pay more attention to Superman. And that makes for a more interesting and complex character than the Silver Age origin, which is, wait, you accidentally caused my baldness. Fuck you, Man of Steel. I'm going to destroy you. Yeah, the God Silver Age origin of Lex Luthor. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't really hold a, sort of a villain's like, arc. And there's also at the beginning, the Joker is telling Luthor jokes and Luthor just keeps saying he doesn't get it. Not that he doesn't think they're funny, is that he doesn't get the joke. And that's playing Luthor a little too straight. I mean, he is a genius. He's going to get the Joker's bad jokes. He's just not going to think they're very funny. I, I, this is going to be, I think, one of these times where we're, we're, we spent so much time talking about White Knight. We, we can be a little shorter on this because, again, there's not a ton to this story although i will say at the end after their minds are switched back both joker and luther sort of pass out in an alley and joe malone this cop this beat cop just comes by and finds them and is able to arrest them both and i want to know what happens to this guy after this because he just arrested the joker and lex luthor it's like he's gonna be this celebrity have you ever seen the episode of the simpsons homer defined where homer accidentally stops a nuclear meltdown by just hitting a random button and then it's an early episode and then he's he's lauded as this hero and has to you know deal with imposter syndrome i feel like I that's have what, not seen that but it, it sounds charming it is and i feel like that's going to happen to joe malone that you know people are going to be asking him you know do all these amazing things and he's like yeah i'll, I'll do that the first policeman to single-handedly apprehend both Lex Luthor and the Joker and neither his life nor his career will ever be the same yeah I want to know what that's about I want I want this guy to show up again and be a disaster because he's been 
consistently put into these incredibly high stress situations for the rest of his career and now is strung out and exhausted because no one should be expected to do that. Yeah, it's all of the uh, the post Buffalo Bill stuff for uh, Clarice Starling. Like it, none, none of it ever turns out well. Yeah, I, I can see that. Or he immediately quit the force and, you know, wrote a fictionalized book, which he published. And then the Joker tracked him down and killed him because you don't write fiction about the Joker when the Joker can be around to read it because it won't end well for you. One way or the other, Joe Malone's life is not going to go the way he hopes after this adventure. No, not at all. But that's, that's life and death in Gotham City. Yes, it is. I think we can, we can leave it at that for this one, unless you've got anything particular. I've got nothing else. So that means it's time to put the Joker number seven on the big board. I'm scrolling. I mean, this is in between, in between the two. It's by definition almost going to be in between them. Well, I mean, it, it by some chance could have been above going sane, but I don't believe it is. This is in the functional but not terribly impressive span. Uh, let's see. It's going to be below overdrive at fifty-three. Yeah. Above speeding bullets at 67. Yeah, that's, I was looking somewhere, I was looking probably around 60, 61. I mean, Shaman does a lot more, but Shaman also has a whole bunch of really problematic stuff in it. Haunted needed more space to breathe. And to actually explain what the fuck they were doing in that story. I hated Hated, hated. And I say this every time it comes up. I hated Bouncing Baby Boy. All right. No, you did. I just want to make it clear. Yep. Want to make it clear. Yep. I think this fits in between 59, which was Club of Heroes, which I like a lot. And you didn't. So that was a compromise space. But one way or the other is beautiful because it's got that J.H. Williams art. And between 59 and 62. So is this better than Shaman? Yeah, I'm willing to grant that. Shaman just went off in those weird, strange directions and the whole idea of getting healed by the power of storytelling for the uh, for the indigenous people to tell you, okay, don't tell anybody that story now. And then Bruce goes off and tells it to the first person he sees. And um, let's not forget the literally nameless indigenous people. Oh, yes. Yes. So, yeah, I can I can bump uh, Shaman down. Yeah. So that makes this our new number 60. Luthor, you're driving me sane. Oh, Matt, that's the end of one rough, rough ass of a week. Next week, we're going to have something better, right? Oh, yeah. Right. Next week, though, next week, Will, this one, this one's on me because this was Dan. Next week, this one's on you. Oh, no. Because next week, another Jason Todd tearbacker and previous guest, Abigail Hartbaum, adds uh, to our suffering with her pick uh, of Batman, the Widening Gyre, as we read three stories of Batman written by Hollywood writers. 
Uh, Matt, what does it mean that the people closest to us in our lives wish so much violence for us? Either we've made some very good or very poor choices. And at this particular moment, I'm not sure which one to go with. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers. Dan, Do we? Do we? (laughs) Well, I promised. So we have to thank them. Dan Grote. June is dead. You motherfucker. Long live June. (laughs) Joshua Wheel. Abigail Hartbaum, Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, and Sam Hopper for their support. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on ComicsXF.com. And support the show on Patreon, where you can get shoutouts, bonus content, pick a story, hopefully better than this one, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. Alexander, you can take off the earmuffs. I'm out of here. Good night, Miami. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend and torturer, Dan Grote, and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff that Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham. It's not a place to be after dark.